0: And I praise the Lord for you being here today. The title of the message is Sweeping Things Under the Rug. Has anyone ever done that? Okay, we've got some liars in here this morning. Uh, You know, Jay has been cleaning this building a long time. I'm not going to ask him that question. There are many times in life when we literally sweep things under the rug might be an accident that's taken place, or maybe, maybe we've broken something that, that's just embarrassing and we don't want to tell anybody and we just want to hide it. Well, this morning, in Joshua, uh, leading into Joshua chapter 7, this is really part two of, of a three-part message, and it deals with the victory that has already taken place for Israel in a place called Jericho. Now, if you remember, Joshua trusted God's promise They used God's people, Israel, children of Israel, the the army, the soldiers, the, the priests, the religious leaders, and then they executed God's plan, and God gave them the victory. As a matter of fact, if you were to put five words down, it'd be something like this. There was strategy, there was faith, there was obedience, there was victory, and there was celebration. All those things seemed to fall in place pretty good. Now, when you get to the end of chapter 6, I want you to make reference to especially verse 27. And the Bible says, after that victory, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Now, in your Bible, I want you to circle the word, the name, Joshua. And his fame spread throughout all the country. Because of this great victory, listen to me, it seems as if the conversation might still be a little bit on Joshua, on his leadership, on the victory. When in essence, the entire victory belonged to the Lord the entire strategy belonged to the lord and what god wanted to use was joshua for his glory now listen to me everybody in this place god is a jealous god and it's it's everything good about jealousy because his plan is best plan for you amen the will of god for your life is the best place to be listen to me we got some kids in here praying and wondering where they're going to go to college or if they're going to go to college or where they're going to go and how much it's going to cost and what they're going to do. Listen to me. God's plan for your life is way better than anything you can come up with. And I'm telling you, there's a bunch of adults in this room this morning where we have discovered that God's plan's always the best. Amen? Man, I am grateful that as a 31-year-old who knew nothing about pastoring a church, this church said, we think God's plan involves you. I'm grateful for that. God's will for your life will be better than anything you can come up with. Well, chapter chapter 6 ends with, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Now, God's power, using his people to accomplish his plan for his glory, God had already given them absolutely clear instructions about what to do and what not to do. Now, If you have your Bible, I want you to look just a little ahead of of, of verse 27. I want you to back up to verse 18. Joshua 6, 18. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Things accursed, things that have been dedicated, things that have not been dedicated to you, but things that have been dedicated to false gods, to other things other than the, the God of heaven. So the Bible continues on to say, verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now the message is entitled "The Cost of Sweeping Things Under the Rug." How in the world could instructions that clear be messed up? Well, we see it take place in this passage, and I want to remind you this morning that God is always clear in His instructions. Anybody will say, "Amen." Recently, I read a polling question on Twitter that said this. Do you think Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, let me ask you. Do you? Okay. Okay, those of you that didn't answer that question, either didn't hear me, don't care, or think that doesn't apply to us. Do you think Jesus is the only way to heaven? We do. If you're in this church, listen. We we believe the Bible is clear on on the instructions on how to get to heaven. And you can't get to heaven by bypassing Jesus Christ. Who said that? What Southern Baptist church said that? No, let me tell you what the Bible says and what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. And you might be here today and say, well, Brother Greg... For you to say that, for us to say that to the world in which we live, the world's going to think that we're some, we're, we, we think we're self-righteous. We think we're better than somebody. Uh, uh, who are you, narrow-minded fundamentalists, to say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? I'm no one other than a messenger of the Word of God. That's what the Bible says. Now listen to me, folks. There'll be people who say, well, you don't love me to say that. No, let me tell you something. I don't love you if I don't say it. Because we live in a world that says, after all, everybody's trying to get to the same place and all roads lead to heaven. No, listen to me. Different roads may take you to Christ, but only Christ will get you to heaven. And when I say different roads, different backgrounds, different circumstances, maybe how God's worked in your life, but you all have to come to the cross. You have to come to the same place where you give your life to Jesus. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Just as God was clear in giving instructions to Joshua and the children of Israel, he's always been clear on how to have a relationship with them. I love that about him. I love that. Even in the Old Testament, he was clear And he says, if you want to get to the promised land that I'm going to give you, then make sure after the the battle of Jericho, I get all the glory, and make sure you don't take these certain things. Accursed. These things that were dedicated, they should have been destroyed. The silver and gold and vessels of bronze, they were consecrated to the Lord. And when I think about the clarity of the gospel, listen to me. Uh, This is number one in your outline. Clarity is better than pageantry any time when it comes to the gospel. What do you mean pageantry, Brother Greg? Oh, we can try to dress it up. We can try to make it theatrical. We can try to be as cutting edge as we possibly can be. We can try to be as relevant, as likable, and as acceptable to everybody around us and not offend anybody. There was a phase there where churches, listen, Bible preaching churches were removing crosses from their sanctuary and not preaching about the blood because it would be offensive. The cross is offensive. When you come to the cross, you have to decide, you have to make a decision. The Bible calls uh, in, in 1 Corinthians it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But praise the Lord. Listen to me, folks. Clarity is important when it comes to the gospel clarity. Now, culture needs the truth, do they not? And they need it with clarity. They need a priest with clarity. So instead of preaching my opinion, let's preach what the Bible says. Instead of preaching denomination, preach the Bible. And the world, listen, is looking for some consistency somewhere. I mean, if you're a Christian in left field and left center, you're a Christian and right center, you're a Christian and right field, you're a Christian shouldn't there shouldn't there be some things some common threads in your life and and I praise the Lord that the gospel's a message that is offered with clarity and Jesus said you're not going to come to heaven unless unless I let you I, I love some of you seen this clip uh, it uh, it's Alistair Begg who is a, a Presbyterian one of one of America's leading preachers in the Cleveland area and he's talking about heaven and he's talking about how do you get to heaven and, and and in this clip he says well let's just go to the thief on the cross and he arrives in heaven and someone meets him here and says why are you here? And, he, and at first, it, he, 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 does, he says, well, I don't know. And to the same thief on the cross, they ask the question, you, do, you know, do you know what justification by faith is? He says, I'm not sure. Hang with me. Do you know the doctrine of sanctification? Not very well then on what basis are you here? And the thief on the cross says, all I can tell you is the one who died on the middle cross said I could come. Oh, man, I love that. That gives me chills just saying it. It's a reminder that the clarity of the gospel is because of Jesus now listen to me, don't go out of here and say, well, Brother Greg, when a person's saved, they don't have to know. No, we're talking about the thief on the cross who didn't have time to get to Sunday school. That's who we're talking about. Remember, the Bible, one of the Gospels even say both of the thieves reviled him. So for, for a little bit, he, he kind of was, but he made a decision. He made a decision, do you remember? We better be careful. We deserve to be here. He's done nothing. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The the man who died on the cross in the middle said I could come. Hey, there's always been clarity when it comes to knowing Christ and having a relationship with God. Now, Verse 27, chapter 6, is at the very end of the Jericho Walls Come Tumbling Down victory. I mean, there's victory. The touchdown dance has started. Look at what God did in Jericho. But to continue to use a picture of football, there's a flag on the field. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And there's a man named Achan who's identified pretty quickly, pretty quickly. Now, when you look at the instructions given, perhaps his family knew what had taken place, or maybe he even hid it from his family. But we recognize that God is very much aware of what has gone on. As a matter of fact, folks, Achan does a 180 exactly opposite of what God told him to do, of what they were instructed to do. Now listen to me, young people. Your parents don't give you counsel and instructions to make your life miserable. Okay, that'd be a good one for amen from most parents sitting here, especially if your kids are here. Amen? What do you do that? You do that to protect them. You do that, perhaps maybe you went down that road. You want to save them from some heartache. Anybody want to say amen? But the truth is, Achan has what I believe is an Apostle Paul moment. Romans chapter 7, listen to Paul, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, old, sold under sin. Paul says, For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will do, that I don't practice. What I hate is what I do. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it is good I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do it. But the evil that I will not to do That's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Even though Achan's sin may have been isolated from others, God would reveal it. Luke chapter 12, verse 2, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Luke 12:3 through 5, therefore, uh, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed in the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more than they can do to you, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Luke eight seventeen. for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not come to the light. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Listen to me, Christian. Be careful. That thing in your life that you're hiding from everybody else, God might just choose to bring that to light. You say, Brother Greg, don't you scare me. Folks, I'm telling you, we have lost our fear of God. We've lost our fear of God. So God singles out Achan, listen to this, and it just branches out into his family tree. Uh, has anyone ever done the uh, Ancestry.com thing with your family? And uh, Renee's mom, her family did that years ago, and we they bought for a $100 this big hardbound book on the, on the Ford family from Jellicoe, Tennessee, and everything about it. And and Dorothy Ford raised a family with Floyd in Dayton, Ohio. And their youngest daughter is named Glory Reeve, which is Gloria Renee. The family tree kind of fell apart there for a few minutes. In this passage, he goes from Achan to his tribe Do you see those names? Carmi and Zabdi and Zerah. Do you see that? The tribe of Judah. It's him who took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Number two Sin is never isolated, it will always affect others. It will always affect others. Now, the Bible refers to leaven as sin. It's a picture of sin. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, a little yeast, leavens the whole lump? Galatians 5, 9 A little leaven leavens everything, the whole lump. And the Bible says, because of Achan, his sin is never isolated, and your sin is never isolated, and it never just affects just you. And brothers and sisters, I want to beg right now and cry out to God, say, God, forgive me of the many times in my life when I've harbored sin, thinking it was just me. It was just me. So what happens? Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to, this is pronounced I, or Ai, I, I say Ai a lot, just for recognition, okay? Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside uh, Beth of on the east side of Bethel, or Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said to him, Do not, do not let all the people go. Uh, two or 3,000 men, let them go up and attack. Let them attack the Ai. Don't weary all the people there. For the people there in Ai, this is not Jericho, they're few. They're few. Men are sent to spy, bring back the report, we don't need full strength. We'll be okay in this battle. We don't need the reinforcements. Let's cut back. Now, when I look at chapter 6 and the victory at Jericho and look at What's about to take place, uh, I mean, if you continue reading, folks, so about, verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted, and became like water. When I look at the strategic, promised, planned victory of Jericho and we immediately step into a much smaller battle against a much weaker army and face defeat and are driven back, I believe here's what we see, number three. The difference Joshua heard from God before the Jericho victory and after the AI defeat. You know, sometimes we, we pray, we only, we only pray when we have to. We only pray when things get bad. But if you recall, verse 27, chapter 6, So the Lord was with Joshua, and Joshua's fame spread throughout all the country. God's a jealous God. His desire is that his fame is made known. So what does he allow happen? Defeat to a much weaker opponent. The difference was the power of God. If you think you can face and fight the devil yourself, you might do good for a little while, but I'm telling you the devil's smarter, he's stronger, he can outthink you, he can out-deceive you. You need the power of God, amen? Uh, I wonder this morning, don't raise your hand, I wonder how many of you prayed for the services already. I know, I know many of you did, but I would probably think that a number of us didn't. Folks, if you want to see the move of God, if you want the power of God, you've got to seek it more than anything. I mean, we're not coming to a movie that, to this morning. I mean, I mean you, didn't, you didn't tell me what to preach. You didn't uh, program it and say, here's the lectionary, and you will preach a scripture on this Sunday. That's not the way it works here. We're praying for the power of God, amen? We're praying for a Jericho moment where on the seventh trip, the horns blast, the people shout and clap, and the walls come down. That's what took place, preparation in Jericho, God's word, trust him, but we see what disobedience cost you in Ai. So what is Joshua's reaction? Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell down to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. They're grieving, they're mourning. And in humility, Joshua says, Alas, God, doesn't this sound just like the children of Israel that Moses led? Listen to this. Why have you brought us, this people, over to the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Folks, this is the leader of Israel the army, the the leaders that is taking them into the promised land. They've already come across the Jordan. God is at work. They've seen this great victory at Jericho. And now he's saying, I wish we'd have just stayed back. I knew it wasn't going to be as good as that first victory. I don't want to be that voice in the crowd. I knew we shouldn't have done this. We've all been there. Anybody want to say amen? Come clean this morning. Amen? Renee, I know we shouldn't have come this way. This morning, Marcia walked in the office and said, Brother Greg, we're on plan C. Now, I'm telling you, it gets bad because when she gets to plans D, I'm leading the music. She gets to plan C and says, Tim's on his way. He's stuck by a train, and he's wondering how to get around it. Was it stopped? Okay. How do I get around it? What do I do? I wish we would have stayed home this morning. My prayer is that today when you leave and you get home, you say, it's good to be in the house of God. Amen? Joshua, the leader, it's almost, listen. He continues on. Oh, Lord, verse 8. What shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? If we get beat by this little army, what am I going to say from the next tough battles? What am I going to start to say when we just start running? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Look at verse 27, chapter 6. So the Lord was with Joshua in his fame throughout all the country. God wants to use people that will glorify him. And in order to do that in Joshua's life, something was going to have to change in the life of Israel, and he's just now making this information seeable for Joshua. What is it? There's sin in the camp. There's sin in a camp, and there's a high cost for sweeping it under the rug. Number four. Is that where we're at? In your Christian life, you cannot win today's battles with yesterday's faith. And I don't mean that. I don't want that to sound disrespectful at all. But what I am saying is to live a victorious life in Christ, you cannot Ride the coattails of your grandma's faith, your family's faith. It has to be personal. Are you with me? No doubt Joshua's probably thinking about Moses. Joshua's probably thinking about what disqualified Moses from taking them onto the promised land. It was simply disobedience, not listening to God's instruction. It's a personal faith. In essence, you have to continue to trust God, rely on him, take him at his word, and never fail to praise him and thank him for what he is doing and what he has done. What happened in this passage is the men of Israel underestimated the enemy. Just cut back the army. We don't need the full squad. Now, we don't need the whole team. But I'm telling you, it has to be personal. Let me, let me use the illustration. Yesterday, uh, Kobe and Jordy, our two youngest grandsons, started their basketball season. And this is Jordy, our littlest, his first ever game. And the only reason he's getting ready, to, the only reason he's able to play on Kobe's team is because his dad's the coach. So the game started, and somehow I got lassoed into the, keeping the, the clock. The game started. Team over here, Kobe and Jordy's team here. The team over here had five players only. How many, how many does it take to put on the court? And our team had six. And guess who's not starting? The littlest man on the court. So well, we sat there and we talked, and all of a sudden, on this team, one of the little players either got hit with the ball or something happened, but you could tell she is not finishing the game. Parents, are you with me? She is not, not going to play. I shouldn't have said she. It could have the player. She, they are not going to finish. So dad comes out and consoles the player and walks her off the court. How many do you have to play to play? How many they have now? How many do they have? Six. Coach, dad, comes over and says, Jay, got good news. You're going to play on the other team. And then he looked at me and said, what about that, Greg? I've traded my own son before the season even begins. But here's, here's the picture. Listen, Anybody want to say amen? Hey, there's not an athlete in here that wouldn't say that. I'd rather play than sit because the last time I checked, leagues for kids that age, sometimes they don't even keep score. But since I was on the clock and every time one of my grandsons hit a bucket, it's going right up there on the scoreboard. No, listen, listen. Personal. You want to make up personal. Your faith is Personal. It's when you step out in faith on the field of life and say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm gonna trust you. And some people, listen, just are content to sit in a chair, sit in a pew their entire Christian life and think that somehow when you die, you're going to eternity based on somebody else's faith. Remember, God's always made it clear how you get there. His instructions are always clear. Now, I believe the difference in chapter 6 and chapter 7, the difference is in the glory of God. And God says, okay, I still need to teach Israel something. You don't just deliberately disobey exactly what I told you not to do, but you have to understand there's a consequence when you do it. They underestimated the enemy. They forgot to thank God for what he had done. They forgot to recognize he's smarter than them, stronger than them. The devil is more selfish than you are. The devil will do anything contrary to God's standard. And the day of reckoning comes, verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie this on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things, have stolen and deceived and have also put it among their own stuff. So the orders go out. Tomorrow we're going to find it. Every man from every tribe is going to represent their family, and they're going to give an account. You can't go forward unless you deal with it. We're not going forward unless it's dealt with. And in comes... Achan, verse 18. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him, and tell me now what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed. Indeed. I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent. Hey, there's a high cost to sweep sin under the rug. It's in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all of Israel stoned him with stones. Listen. And they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. Folks, I'm telling you, there is a day of reckoning coming. Every idle word, every thought, everything I've done, Sin I have willfully chosen to do, sin that I have omitted things to do. There's a day of reckoning. He says, get up, Joshua. Praise the Lord, the day of reckoning for you and I as a believer took place at Calvary's cross. That's where Jesus says, get up. You see, you have to recognize you're a sinner before you can be saved. That's hard for people. That's a hard step for a lot of people. You might feel like you're okay. You might feel like you're a pretty good person. And when I look at it over our crowd this morning, I, I don't doubt that you're, we're not, you're not good people. I guess my question would be, are you saved? Do you know Christ? It says you can't go forward until you deal with it. Well, folks, you're not going to heaven unless you deal with it. And when you die without Christ, it's not like you just have the funeral service and then go to the cemetery and your body's put in the ground to be remembered no more. Folks, that soul is already gone. And what you do with Christ in this life has eternal significance. I mean, Achan could have could have thought to the family look, don't tell anybody. Look, we're rich. Look what we have from Jericho. No one will miss it. There was so much. But there was conviction, and then he confesses. Number five, we're about done. The devil makes sin look good for a little while. Anybody here this morning can testify to that? Look good for a little while. Look good for just a little while. Let me tell you something. You think the answer to your life is getting out of your marriage and running around with somebody that's not even your wife or or husband? You're destined for doom. You're looking for the answers in all the wrong places. And God says, I'll give you. Listen, the, the devil says, here it is. Look how wonderful it is. You can't resist. That's exactly what he did in the garden. Listen, the devil in the garden lied to Adam and Eve. Did God not say you couldn't have anything from any, any, any tree? No, no. God said you can't have from this tree. And the devil made it look better. 21 through 26, as we read about his confession and we read about the severity of the sentence, we'll close with this. Number six, it's easy to critique others until the inspection comes to your house. It's easy to critique others until an inspection comes to your house. Um, some of you might not even know our church has an elevator. When you leave the worship center, it's just to the right. There is a high cost to maintain an elevator in a commercial building. What do you mean, Brother Greg? We have to pass inspection. We had to pass inspection. Not long ago, we had to write a nice check to fix a 911 button. What does that mean? If you were on that elevator and it got stuck and nobody was in the church, it's a button you push, emergency, you talk to the dispatcher. It wasn't working. Inspector came in and said, if this is not fixed by the next time, it won't be working. We'll have to red tag you. I said, no, wait a minute. We're not a six-story building. People can holler. And he said, we're, we're talking about the person that's hollering after you've gone home. And they're stuck. And I said, I understand, understand. Inspection. Oh, it's easy to talk about other people's elevators. A little different when they start talking about mine. Oh, I, we can critique other churches, other pastors other Christians, other families. That's easy to do until we're the one under the light. And here's what I'm praying for in 2022, a little more grace in my life. Everybody doesn't have to know what I think about everything. I'm going to try to season my speech with salt and grace. Amen? And I I need to be reminded, I needed this story. There's a high cost to sweep sin under the rug. And there's a high cost for you to hide sin in your heart and expect God somehow to bless your life. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.